exciting. And it's really good to be able to stand in front of you again, not looking so gray and vomity and awful. So I feel like second trimester is going to be a great one. Um, so yeah, so you'll notice on our little board here, we're not going to be talking about Arius High School this morning. Our, t our series for this term is, uh, is around emotionally healthy spirituality. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Which, if you've been around church for a long time, might seem like quite a, a strange um, theme to go through as Christians. It's not often we actually look at the deeper, darker parts of our soul, our emotions, our, the way we think, some of the patterns of behavior that we just do the way we are because of the way we've grown up, the communities that we've grown up in, the people that have influenced us. But as a church, as part of taking our mission statement of following Jesus really seriously, we want to actually explore and kind of go head to head with some of those deeper, darker areas of our lives our emotions, our emotional health, which has a huge impact on actually our maturity as Christians, our spirituality. There's a really famous scripture, isn't it, that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And if you were totally honest with yourself, how much freedom do you feel like you really live with? How much freedom from anger do you really live with? How much, no, that's the wrong. How much freedom from laziness do you really live with? How much freedom from stress and burnout do you really live with? How much freedom from worry and anxiety do you really live with? As Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There is a wholeness, a new creation that God is longing for us to be as we put our trust in him. As Jesus makes his dwelling place inside of us, there is a freedom that he longs for us. And often, we make decisions to follow Jesus, and it's amazing. We might find some breakthrough in some areas of our lives, but there's a whole other area of our life that gets totally untouched by God and we just carry on living the way we've always lived. We still get really angry with people. We might have a really bad temper. We might flip out with people when we disagree them with them. We might have a really judging spirit that we just automatically judge people on what they do and the way they look or their decisions. It might be that we're lazy. It might be that we really struggle to maintain relationships. All that stuff. We've never actually really given that over to God. We've never actually admitted that stuff 
said, actually, take that bit, God, as well, and make it more into your new creation. Bring freedom in those areas of my life. Ta-ta, Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's a few reasons for that. I think sometimes, often in church, it's because we've actually not taken the time to explore those areas. But I think a massive one is actually sometimes we're not very self-aware. We actually don't realize. It's like we're blind to some of the areas of our lives that are actually not very godly. But we're so used to them. They've been with us since we were children that they're just part of who we are. And yes, God loves us anyway. But it's meant that we've not actually been able to give it to God because we're not even aware it's an issue. It's a bit like, um, you know, certain traditions in your family, and it's not until you, like, spend Christmas with another family that you realize some of the stuff that you do is not normal. (laughs) (laughs) So I, for years and years and years, like, all my childhood, until I got married, basically, and had Christmas with Alan's family, I was totally convinced that Christmas Day in every household was alcohol-free. Like, that was just my uh, assumption. Because my granddad is teetotal, and so as a family, we just never had alcohol on Christmas Day. It was always schlur. And so in my mind, that's what every single family did. It was like a national rest day from alcohol. That's just what I thought. And I remember Alan's mum bringing out, like, sherry and some port on Christmas Day. And I was like, you can't do that. That's, like, awful. Because in my mind, it, just what I'd grown up with, it was, the fam- it was the norm in our family. So I thought it was the norm in every family. Who knew? Another one, like quietness in car journeys. It's not really a thing growing up for us. There was always like sing-alongs going on, or we're all quite verbally, pro- we're all verbal processors. So there was always somebody talking or singing, or there's always noise in the car. And I remember, again, one of the first long j- car journeys with Alan. He's much more of a quiet introvert. And it was, like, really quiet. And so I'm there, like, yabbing on, and, like, we've got to fill the silence. And um, I just was like, this guy is so rude. You can't sit in a car journey in silence. This is, like, he's just... Why doesn't he, w- why doesn't he want to talk to me? And... Um, And again, it was just like, oh, some people actually really quite like quiet. Just a bit of time to reflect and internally process on a car journey. Who knew? Again, I just thought it was really normal to just have lots of noise and singing and some random Le Miserable tape going on in the background. Whatever it is, there was always noise. Or even Monopoly. Who knew that was not a physical contact sport? I did not know that until, again, spending time with other families. Because there are certain norms and behaviors in our family that were so part of who we are as the Sadler family growing up that I just thought they were normal. And it's not until I kind of saw other families and was like, oh, actually, it's not normal. It's just that that's some behaviors that are 
unique to the saddlers. They're patterns of behavior that I have learned and have taken as normal, but actually they are learned behaviors that I've inherited. And there's a lot of, listen, there's lots of fantastic behaviors and patterns that I've picked up from my family. So just to put that out there as well. But I, uh, we really feel like as a community, when we say we're serious about following Jesus, and just the next slide, Mark, if that's all right. We want to be serious in growing in maturity, in growing to become more like Jesus. There's a church that did a really famous um, like study, and they kind of... Um, they looked at uh, the process of how people become a Christian and how they grow in their faith. And actually, it was quite, it's quite painful for that church, some of the results they found. Because actually, particularly in Western culture, people are exploring Christ. They make the decision to follow Jesus. It's amazing. And growing in Christ starts... And we might start to read our Bibles, we might start to pray, we might start to be part of a church. All those things are really, really good, and they're part of growing in Christ. But a lot of us kind of get stuck here. And we change a few little behaviors in our lives. We might start giving some of our money to church. We might stop if we were in a relationship and like sleeping with our boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage, we might stop doing that kind of things. But there might be lots of other areas of our lives that remain totally untouched and we get a bit stuck. Whereas I want us to be a community that are growing and getting closer to Christ, growing in maturity until actually our lives are Christ-centered. We see everything in our lives as God's. we can handle giving God the deepest, darkest bit of who we are, that we know that everything we have is God's and that we're able to lay it down whenever he asks us to. That's a huge challenge, but that's the kind of community I want us to be, not just baby toddler Christians, but really taking our faith seriously, that it really impacts our whole life. I want us to be people who have a whole lot of really good fruit in our lives. Let's just look at, um, it's really famous if you've um, been a Christian a while, it's Galatians 5, 16 to 26. If you've got your Bibles, grab them now, we're going to be looking a lot into scripture if you want some bibles on there there's some welsh and english ones so grab them on there so if you want to um read along with me so this is paul in the new testament so it's a church in galatia so he's saying so i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the, de- the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So, just check your heart a second. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
can never say this word, and then correct me for debauchery. No, I'm just kidding. I know I will say it wrong. Idolatry and witchcraft. Now, some of them might be thinking, yep, so far so good. I have avoided all of those in my life. Go me. Let's go on to the next bit. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions, factions, and envy. How often do we look at other people's stuff or when other people go on nice holidays and think, give them stuff to them on a plate. Why have they worked so hard for my stuff? Drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit, and if you've been a Christian a really long time, don't glaze over this bit. I want you to really listen to what Paul says are the fruit of the spirit working in our lives, okay? Love. Joy. Peace. How much peace is there in your relationships at work? in church, with your siblings, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And if any of you have read through that list and think, great, nailed it, I am completely Christ-centered, I am emotionally healthy, 10 out of 10, then you're either a liar or you have terrible self-awareness. And I fully suggest you enter into some one-to-one discipleship so that your disciple can help you see some of the areas where the one needs to be to allow God in. Because none of us are the finished product. Every one of us struggle with some of those emotions and behaviors. And that we've not actually been fully honest with ourselves and with God to say, actually, you know, I really struggle with envy. The fact that we never have enough money at the end of the month, I really struggle with that. Or actually, the way I grew up was we weren't gentle with each other. We were always having a go at each other and just shouting at each other. Or actually, the way I grew up is we weren't kind. People didn't encourage one another in our family wasn't a kindness. We were critical. So much of what we grow up with, we then just take as norm. And actually God is calling us to a new way of life. Gifts, fruit that he wants to see in our lives. Our emotions are very powerful. And often they can speak to us in a really helpful way. I really think God can use our emotions to really help us 
but we cannot let them control us. Just wanted to explore a little bit about Jesus. Because sometimes I think we forget Jesus' humanity. And we forget that actually his emotions were also a bit crazy at times. So just um, if you're ready and if you're quite good with where stuff is in the Bible, if not, just listen. So first one, if you turn to Matthew 26. 36 to 42. I've got loads of these, so they're not all they're not coming up on the screen. But if you can just listen, if you've got your Bible in front of you, we really encourage you to bring Bibles on Sunday. It's really helpful. So, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, he's a, he knows he's about to get crucified. He knows. So then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, "Sit here." While I go over there and pray, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus we're talking about, is feeling sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is feeling overwhelmed. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's like pleading with God, God, I actually don't want to do this. This is too hard. I actually really, really, really don't want to do this. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I'm troubled. Any of those emotions? Any of you felt any of those? And sometimes we feel like they're wrong. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. It's like pleading with God. My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus, in his full humanity here, is able to be really honest with God about the fact that he doesn't want to do this. He is scared, he is troubled, he's sorrowful. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them 
another one of the emotions that we see Jesus displaying, compassion on people. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I love that Jesus recognizing the need for rest. Because humanity knows we need rest. But also this uh, incredible compassion he has. Luke 7, 11 to verse uh, 13. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nine. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So this woman now has no husband, and she's just lost her only son. In that part of society at that time, that meant she was going to be in a really, really rough place as a woman. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. This is incredible empathy. And he said, don't cry. Allowing his emotions to speak to him. To show empathy. Luke 10 verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Again, he's got the other extreme of the emotion now, this incredible joy that he's carrying. John 2, verses 13 to 17. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins over the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Another one of Jesus' emotions coming out. We've had empathy. We've we've had joy. We've had sorrow. We've got anger here. Jesus' anger is moving him into action. It's an anger displayed here. And then last one I just want to share, John 11, 33 to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is the story of Lazarus, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He wept. How often sometimes as Christians do we walk in with all of our sorrow and our pain and people ask us, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm a Christian. I've got God in my life. I've got Jesus coming to my life, so I've got to be fine. Sometimes we're really not. Sometimes we're like Jesus. And we are on the ground praying, God, take this cup from me. Sometimes we're dealing with so much grief and we don't know how to grieve and lament healthily because we feel like we shouldn't, that it's wrong. 
And yet Jesus, fully God and fully human, commissions us to have these emotions. But how did he let them not control him? Just, um, I think it's on the next slide, Mark. Oh, I just, yeah. We'll skip this one, otherwise I'll be here for hours. Um, yeah, we'll just share this. I love this from the book that we're taking a lot of this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality from. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. So if our emotion, actually, if we're quite emotionally immature, we're all over the place with our emotions, fits of rage, we get jealous easily, we're passive-aggressive, then it's always going to cap our spiritual maturity. Skip the next few quotes, Mark, and then I think there's a long list of lovely. So again, a researcher um, in America called Brené Brown do her whole research is around um, shame and guilt. It's like what she researches. It's really interesting, her book. And um, this is the list they've compiled of, as, as a human, these are our core emotions. To kind of summarize what are the key emotions that every single human being will experience. And some of those you'll be like, yeah, actually, some of those are good, really healthy. Some of those you might struggle with a little bit. And some of them might just jump out to you as, I know that is an issue in my life. Or that's an issue in my family. That's gone back generations. We've always been a judging family. Or there's always been a pattern of regret. Or... We've always been lonely. Our parents were lonely or grandparents were lonely. And it's a pattern that's just passed down and passed on. And so how does that affect us? When we don't deal with our emotions, if we're emotionally unhealthy, these are some of the symptoms that come out in our spiritual walk with God. I love the first one. Sometimes we actually use God to run from God. So sometimes our emotions, God is actually trying to use to tell us something. If, we, if we're feeling lots of anger and we don't process it, if we're one of those people who's a bit of a people pleaser and we actually don't know how to healthily process or bring challenge in love or ha- to share healthily and gently how we're feeling, sometimes we can use God to say, but it doesn't matter, God, God is Lord of my life. And we actually ignore the stuff that's going on and actually over-spiritualize and use God to run from some of the stuff that God actually wants to work with in our lives. Ignoring anger, sadness, and fear, I think this is a classic one, particularly in churches. We ignore it. We think it's bad. We shouldn't feel those things. And so therefore, for some of you, it might have been locked up for years and years and years and years. 
actually God wants to bring freedom. And that can look in loads of different ways, whether that's prayer, and often it's a bit of everything. Prayer, counseling, something like sozo, where you intentionally spend time getting God to speak into certain areas of your life might be more practical. It might be, number three, dying to the wrong things. We can prioritize. I feel like as a church leader, this is like a huge one that I have to really grapple with. Dying to the wrong things. Sometimes when you lead a church, you can feel like everything you have to do, you need to put church first. I've definitely really struggled with that. And what suffers is sometimes my relationship with God, which is actually more important than leading church. Sometimes it's my marriage, where I'm having to say to Alan, no, sorry, I'm busy, I need to do more of this, I need to prep this, or I need to go and meet that person. And my marriage suffers. And that's a covenant vow I've made with Alan before God. Sometimes we can die to the wrong things. Denying the impact of the past on the present. I think this is, if you're not very self-aware, this is probably one for you to really explore. Look at your family, some of the patterns. What have you just adopted as normal that actually is not very godly, that is not producing fruit? And I would massively recommend looking at things like um, Myers-Briggs. That's really helpful as a first step of self-awareness, looking at how you're wired. And some of it's good. Some of it you have to then, once you're aware of it, you can almost clock it and do a lot more work with God around ensuring it's healthy. Dividing life into secular and sacred components, another classic, I think, in the Western particularly of church. We see spiritual things as only happening when there's other Christians around, when we're in an organized church meeting, and the rest of our life, we do whatever we want. We might come to church, we might worship God with everything we've got, and then we go home and we start shouting at our spouse or like treating our employees or colleagues badly. We start gossiping about our neighbors. We start envying them. Every part of our life is spiritual. Everything I do reflects something of God or reflects something of my sinful nature. Doing for God instead of being with God. Like this is a huge one that I am still journeying massively. I've got to do for God. I've got to do this. I've got to do this, prep this, or instead of prioritizing just time with him, being in his presence, prayer. How really is our relationship with God? 
how much time do we spend being with him? Spiritualizing away conflict. Another. Sometimes we just blame everything on the devil. When actually a lot of it is our own baggage that we've just not processed and dealt with. I know I can really struggle. I know with my personality type, I have a tendency to really want peace and harmony. So that's my natural default, is to want harmony. And so I'm still on a journey with this. How do I therefore lead you guys as Lighthouse Church when I know there's unrest, when I know people are hurting or people are hurting with each other, my natural default, my personality would naturally be like, oh, it's fine, we'll just, let's just be really, just, let's just be kind and nice to each other. And part of that is good. There's a kindness and a love and a forgiveness and a grace that comes very natural to me. What doesn't come as natural to me is actually sitting down with someone and being like, okay, tell me how you're feeling, knowing that it's going to be quite hard for me to hear. That's not my default. And I have to really, like, ask God when I know I'm going to go into a difficult meeting. I'm a sensitive soul. It's my natural. I'm a feeler. So you thinkers have this easy. It comes much more natural to you. You can go into me and be like, yeah, hit me. I'm not <laughs> Well, I'm like, I've got to prepare my heart a lot more. But I know in order to be the leader that God wants me to be, I've got to do it. And I've got to learn how to do it. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. We pretend that everything's okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're not okay with being vulnerable. We're not okay with saying, do you know what? I'm quite a massive feeler, and when you criticize me, I'll probably take it quite personally, and it'll take me a few days to process it. That's okay. I'm okay with sharing that with you, because I know that God's working that in my life. And I know it makes me human. It makes me who I am. But I want to grow in it. I want to get better at it. I want God to grow more and more in who I am. Living without limits. Another one that me and Alan have really worked on this year. How do we get boundaries? How do we rest? How do we rediscover the discipline of Sabbath? How do we prioritize holidays as a family? How do we make sure that we're not always connected with people via our phone? So I don't take my phone upstairs to bed anymore. It charges downstairs. When I go to bed, I'm not going to see anything. I'm not sitting on my phone in bed. Still living without limits. Judging other people's spiritual journey. We have all got different strengths and weaknesses in different areas. So that's the list that is going to be unpacked more this term. And probably some of them you're like, yeah, I'm quite quite strong and healthy on some of those. But some of those I know is going to be an area for me this term. 
So as we come to the end, so let's come to the end. Um, just just as I was referencing that. I just want us to look back. Let's look back at who can really help us with this, which is Jesus, fully God, fully human, who experienced all those emotions. And I think particularly if we go back to that story of him in Gethsemane when he's on his knees, full of sorrow and trouble, and whatever it is that you struggle with, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, whether it's envy, whatever those emotions are that you've never fully been honest with God and been honest with other people. Jesus is like, here it is, God. Literally says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's not sugarcoating it. He's like, God is my father. He can handle my emotions right now. Read some of the Psalms where it's like David is an emotional wreck. But he knows that God can handle that. He totally gives over God his feelings. He gives God his desires. He doesn't like over-spiritualize it. He's like, God, if you can, can we actually not go through with this? Can you actually find another way of saving humanity that doesn't involve me having to die on a cross? Sometimes we just need to actually be honest with God about what we want, our desires, knowing Despite Jesus giving him God his desires, then he says, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Ultimately, God, I trust you. I trust you. This is how I'm feeling, God. This is what ideally I want. If I'm totally honest, God, I really don't want to do this. Or if I'm totally honest, God, I really don't want to have that difficult conversation with someone in church because I know it's going to be hard and that doesn't come natural to me. But not my will, your will. I, we, have got, we have got to be honest with God about our emotions, about how we feel, about our desires. Because only then... Do we actually allow God, as we trust in him, to speak into that area to help us grow and mature? If we never give it to him, God's not a forceful God. He's not going to force anything on us. We have to give it to him. So I'm going to invite the band up. And um, I feel like this is a really important journey as Lighthouse Church, that we're going to go on together. And um, I have two quotes for you. One is from Brené Brown, which I went on about before. I think that's on the next slide, Mark. You can't get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. You can't get to courage 
without rumbling with vulnerability, or in the words of Karen Sadler, it's time to get down and dirty with our emotions. And so, I want to invite every single one of you here. If you are up for this, if you are up for saying, okay, God, I am up for going in the next level of giving you over to some of the more unchristian parts of my emotions. I'm up for giving you my desires and trusting in you with how I feel. And if that's you as we worship, I'm just going to ask all of us to stand to our feet. If you know there's areas of your life that have just remained unchanged for a really long time, you might have been a, a Christian for donkey's years, but there are some areas of your life that have remained so untouched, then I just want to invite you to join me on this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality. And it's going to be a bit ugly, I think, at times. I feel like with vulnerability comes a bit of mess and baggage. And that's okay. We can handle that. God can certainly handle that. So I just... um. I, I think we need to do this. I think we need to activate something. So as these guys lead us in worship, and maybe, I don't know, if people are around to pray, Mum, Ian, Marie even, just... I just think, if you are up for this, if you are up for going on this journey of emotionally healthy spirituality in small groups and discipleship and Sunday gathering, then I'm actually going to ask you to just come to the front and join me in putting your hands out and just saying, God, I don't know what this is going to look like. And I'm a little bit scared about being totally honest with who I am. But I'm so up for you speaking into those areas of my life. Like that cloth in the bleach, I'm so up for being dipped in the bleach because I know that Jesus' blood can cleanse me. I know that you want to make me whole. I know that you want freedom for me. So if that's you, if you're like, God, I'm serious about this. I want more freedom in my life. Then do it. Be brave. Just come and stand. There'll be a group of us at the front here. And let's just like as a physical symbol to God of what we as a community are going to do this term. Let's do this as we worship together like us.
You know, when God wants to deal with stuff in our lives, he wants to deal with it because it's causing us a problem. It's not causing him a problem, it's causing us a problem. And I know that God is speaking to us today, each individual. And I know that there's things in our lives that sometimes we just find too dark to even confront ourselves, let alone share with anyone else. But when God wants to deal with something, he makes a way for us to deal with it. He makes a way, he creates paths for people to come to him and he puts people in our way who are just the right people to help us deal with this and sometimes things in our lives are not to be shared with publicly but they are to be shared with God and I just want to encourage people today it doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter what journey you've been on it doesn't matter where you think you're going God wants to deal with stuff because when he deals with stuff he not only gets rid of that problem he also helps other people through the fact that he's got rid of that problem within us. When he deals with issues in our life, that has a fruitful effect on other people that surround us. I, I, I know this, that when he heals us, he heals others that are around us. So I would encourage you, just open your hearts to what God has said today. Open your hearts to be healed He's not a devouring God. He's a restoring God. He's not a hurting God. He's a healing God. He loves you so deeply.
Wednesday, Meg and I are going over to America as we go each year to, uh, to see our daughters and our grandchildren for the annual love-in, you know, full on for two weeks. Um, and going away, thanks, thanks, that's simple, eh? Um, going away on holiday, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that um, I get detached my spiritual life or it takes a different turn and there's a lack of uh, discipline a lack of tradition if you like um, but having heard about this course um, there's a booklets that attached to it and so I got a copy of the sort of daily workbook that you do for the next uh, five, five weeks I think it is And um, started it and uh, done the first week, and uh, it's great. It's simple, but it's profound. And so apart from recommending it, it would be just good, from my point of view, just to feel that back home, back here in Anglesey, that there are other people doing the same thing as we are doing. You know, there's something about that when you're going on a journey together. And it'll help us um, think of you guys, and you can think of us, addressing these things. And it's so, so good because having just done the first week, it's simple, but it's, it's deep, and it just sort of gets to you and where you're up to. So, you know, I would recommend it to you. Um, the first week has been fairly uh, gentle. I don't know how the other week's going to go, but it certainly, it gets to you. And uh, there's a great thing about doing it as a discipline, as a, a routine. And I think that's one of the things that we lack, actually, is having that daily, or more than this. You, you do it twice, twice a day in the course, so you, you have two times doing this. And it's extremely good. So as a foundational thing for where we might go from here, where I might go from here. Um, it's good stuff. So anyway, I hope you're going to do it. If you're not, I'm going to feel a bit lonely over there. But uh, anyway, I'm trusting that people are going to be doing it. Okay. Okay, thanks, Steve. Um, just to say for parents amongst you, if um, you could sign them out of um, kids' work, then the um, teachers can be released from that. 
If you uh, want to carry on in this space of worshipping or of um, having prayer, do that as well. Please feel free to do that. Thank you.